I go to bed, and I close my eyes, and I'm there. And all of a sudden, I hear your voice, Randy. Andrew. 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 <laughs> and it just put a jolt right through me, and I was like, what the hell is going on? Once Gareth started talking about, like, artisanal strawberries and driving my AMG with cross-drilled brake discs, I kind of realized what was happening. But, man, like, it put a just a shock through me. I had no clue what was going on. My wife gets mad when I call your name and she's trying to fall asleep, too. So that's all right. (laughs) (laughs) And it's lights out. We're back with another episode of Flippin' F1, where four fanboys fire off about F1. Been a few weeks since we all were together, but the circus hit up the Hungoring for a wicked, wicked race. All kinds of madness to get into from... A maiden win to all kinds of Madison accidents to the weirdest restart we have ever seen. Of course, our post-race vlogs always include goofball games, candid commentary, accessible analysis, not to mention my usual avalanche of alliteration. So let's break down last week's race, talk about the circuit and the surrounding area, and dig a little deeper into the world's most legendary motorsport. Whether you're one of our seven listeners, hi Gareth's mom, or just new to the pod or the sport, the panel remains more predictable than an F1 podium. As always, I'm your host that takes tea with toast, Randy, and joining me in the studio are our usual panel of fanboys. Gareth, what's going on, man? It's a busy week. It's only Tuesday. Cheers. Uh, he Cheers. told me to get hippie drunk this evening to spice up the podcast, and then I'm curious as to what that means, Philip. Oh, I figured you knew. I didn't think it was for me to tell you. I mean, you know, just because you got the Colt 45 back there. Doesn't mean uh. I've showered at least twice today. Bugger off. I was kind of <laughs> wondering what granola drunk was myself. I, I thought Phil had this whole new thing going on. I think Gareth's from Tennessee. His family is, so we should be getting country drunk. Oh, we can do that. Drunk, country drunk. It's a very fine line, Spencer. All right. Breaks out the banjos. Our man on the left coast, Andrew Spencer. How you doing, bud? Pretty good, Randy. How you doing, buddy? <laughs> always good. It's always good to be here with you guys. And of course, our absent-minded professor here again with his usual fare. How you doing, man? What's going on? As absent-minded as ever, folks, and ready to have some fun. Excellent, excellent. So, so much to get into this week, and I'm just going to jump right into it. Hungary, wow, holy geez, so much to get into, but let's talk about the track itself first and the surrounding area. So, who wants to go and just tell us a little bit about the Hungary Ring and what's legendary about this track? It's a fantastic track. It's an old track. It's tight. It's a very tight track. Oftentimes, it's not the most of exciting tracks. And, and I think this year was a big exception for that, which is fantastic to see. But it's a fun place right outside Budapest, which is apparently an amazing city to go to. I don't know from firsthand experience, only from other people around that have told me. But one day I'd love to go uh, and see this beautiful countryside. And You know, I'm going to butcher this name, but, you know, Andrew, do you know anything about... Oh, man, is it Mogirod or where, uh, where the Hunger Ring is? You know what? My knowledge of Hungary starts and stops with the Danube River. So once we've crossed that off, I don't really have a whole lot more to say. I'm sure, like Phil, it seems like a very lovely place. Friends and family have been telling me I should go. And one of these days when I can travel again, I probably will. Maybe to see a race. Who knows? Yeah. Thank you, Martin Brundle. <laughs> what I will add, it's got two rivers, the Buda River and the Pesh River that run through it, hence the name, which is what Croft yep. tells us at the start of everything. And the one interesting thing about the Hungaro Ring, we have talked a few times this year about, hey, should F1 be going to insert dictatorship? Yeah. Hungaro Ring was the first Iron Curtain race that F1 did, I think, back in 1986, when it went behind the Iron Curtain. So 
you know, current discussion, but there is precedent for it. And, you know, we can see what an open, wonderful, uh, peaceable, not run by dictators country Hungary is now. Well, and there have been some great races here, right? Like there's the PK Senar Mansell series. Phil, tell us a little bit like about that history, like, and those madness races. I don't remember them, Randy. <laughs> you weren't there? I wasn't there. I know I'm old, but come on. He doesn't remember his mid-30s. What are you talking about? Too much pre-drinking, that was the problem. Because of the nature of the circuit, if you get cars that can race close together, which during that era they were, you could get some really interesting moments, shall we say, where cars were sort of elbowing each other out of the way and sort of making it very fun and competitive, right? Kind of like what we saw this time, which is unusual, because normally, historically, for the last couple of years at least, it's been a very boring you know, first one out of the gates, the first one across the line at the end. I don't know. I think we've seen some pretty good ones. I mean, like, when it rains, and in any F1 race, when it rains, it changes the thing. And we know that. But, like, Jensen in the rain, just cutting through the whole field was just something else. You got Danny Rick playing it out, you know, in his race, starting in sixth, and then, like, just booting through things. And a brilliant strategy. And I mean, I love those two guys. But, yeah, sometimes it can just be a processional. That's fair. It's got a weird shape. It looks like basically like an awkwardly built sewing machine. A lot of twisty turns and a couple of strings. That's that. So let's get into our box, 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 bingo. Box, box, box. Bingo! Well, of course, it's our favorite segment and probably everybody's favorite segment because it's the only one that we actually ever planned. So we got nine boxes on the board with, as always, we've got Mazaspin or Mazabin right in the middle, ensuring that we get at least one point. But of course, it's a game that Gareth always wins just by virtue of moving the goalpost. So let's talk about your grid predictions on the boxes this time around. How'd you guys do? Andrew? Well, I didn't do so hot on the top five. I had Bot, Verham, Leclerc, and Perez, and I I got a couple of those. And this was for qualifying. We changed it up. We tried to predict the top five. And bottom five of qualifying this time. I believe the first row of the grid was all Mercedes, right? So I got yeah. the bot and the ham, although not in that order. I had a Verve. Yep. Leclerc was in the top five, though, nope. was he? Nope. Your top five were Hamilton, Bottas, Verstappen, Perez, and Gasly. I didn't have Gasly up there either. I think only you did. Yeah. Uh, oh, I feel, no, feel I had Gasly up there, too. Although he, he put Alonso in there. Uh, I actually got all five people in slightly wrong order, so I get like 12 points for that. Here it is. Gareth, just take all the points. You're welcome. I I will. I'm going to trade them at the end of the year for like aeroplane miles or something. We also uh, (laughs) tried to predict the bottom five of the grid. How did you do, Phil? Uh, I've got Sonoda, Schumacher, Latifi, Giovinazzi, and and Mazepin. So I didn't do too well on that, but, you know, close to it. Well, I had the exact same bottom five as you. I think Russell... You know, having a bit of a, a bad quality really hung us both out to dry there. But, yeah. you know, Giovinazzi, the, the Italian Jesus, he really ruined the day for us. He really walked on some water. He was too well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know what you like, Carlos Sainz ruined the day for me, man. Like, what the hell? He did. And any of us who put Schumacher in there, <laughs> technically that doesn't count because he wasn't bottom five on the grid because he pit lane started. So no points for anybody, but we tried. No points for anybody. Well, we all got massive. You just take my only win out of that one, you know? That's what I do, Phil. That's what I do. <laughs> Does it act as a multiplier if we all got Mazepin on the bottom plus we get the Mazepin middle box? You know? Yeah, 12 points to everybody <laughs> for that. Can I get a steward's ruling on this, please? <laughs> just wait. The penalties will change it away later on anyway. It'll take 32 laps, and then you're going to have to yeah. appeal it. 
<laughs> Excellent. Am I allowed to visit the box while uh, we're doing the podcast then? And <laughs> Absolutely. But while you're doing that, you were going to reject your appeal because it doesn't have any grounds. But if you send us a picture, we'll look at it, even though we tell you we don't check our email. But we just say that. We love when we get email. <laughs> yeah. That's all right. Let's get into race predictions. Spence with the best of like all of us with the like completely lazy, like, oh, fuck, I don't know. Merc one, two, done. <laughs> no, no, that's Merc one half. So <laughs> expecting half of a car to finish. He's talked himself into points. Well, lawyer, yeah, well I, got, I, got, I got the two. I got Lewis coming through. Valtteri, you know, absolutely cleaning out a quarter of the field in the first turn probably hurt me a little bit in that one. I think it killed us all. I'm, I'm going to take half of 12 points, so six points for me on that one. Okay. Good. Just Sounds because good. you put half on the post-it? Awesome. Well, although you forgot to score the, the next three, so we actually have to reduce it by three points, so it's only three points. There you go. The category was race predictions, and there was no parameters around what it was. I just had to predict uh, something. Look, to the listening public, if you're trying to follow along, just don't, because I can't even make heads or tails. Guys, the of chances what these of this one saying. getting posted are slim than none at this rate, I'll tell you that. This segment of Flippin' F1 brought to you by Richard Feynman. Feynman, for whom math was just a whole other thing. Suffice to say, we all got our race predictions just a little bit off, because, as you said, Bottas took out half the field. That first top corner incident does knock us all out of contention, for sure. Yeah, completely. I mean... We all had Leclerc doing well, though, except for Andrew. Nobody called Akon? <laughs> Nobody? Nobody at all? <laughs> I, I feel like Phil actually gets to score a point when uh, the tire strategy penalty safety car predictions. Red flag, you predicted a safety car, and you pl said, please give us rain. I swear, your grass skirt worked, Phil. Your grass skirt worked. <laughs> I love it. Finally. I'll bring it out next time at Spa. Yeah, no, it, that was a good prediction of mine. I think that was pretty close. I think it was spot on. When it's the safety car, came out part of the red flag. And in our open predictions, I had predicted if that actually happens, we get that wacky race where everything happens. And guess what? We did. Uh, is that another 12 points for Gareth? Uh, that's actually about 3,000. He's just wants to win the whole year now. Hang on, Gareth. There's absolutely no way you're going to claim the, the win this week because I just crushed it with my open predictions and things that will be utterly predictable. That's fair. That's fair. I had you supported on this whole, like, now that we stopped picking George for the points, George is going to get the points. I was like, yeah, that yeah. is exactly what's going to happen. Yeah, and so that's I'm exactly taking, what happened. Yeah, I'm taking for that one because I need <laughs> <Yeah>. some points. <laughs> we also had it as the best finish of the season for old man Kimmy. That was right. I had a Verstappen DNF called. What happened was he had a DNF for part of his barge boards on one side of the car, but you know the rest of the car didn't make it through, so <laughs> a quarter points in that one. And I had Crofty <laughs> telling us about the Danube River as something that you know would be utterly predictable and that would occur during the race. And that happened, I believe, during qualifying. So I'll take full points for that one. Mm. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, I had the old men's club actually scoring points and doing well in the top 10. Thank you, Alonzo and Raikkonen. They did until they got disqualified. I bet against myself on Yuki Sonoda and won that bet. So it's like, <laughs> I don't know. I think that's a point that also then gets negated by the fact that I made the wrong prediction and I bet against myself. So I think that was astute. You're always very astute. I, I predicted Gasly uh, would have his best finish of the year, and he did. He finished fifth. I believe that was his best for yeah. the season. No, he yeah. finished third at uh, Baku. Yeah, I was going to say, that's not his best yeah, finish. You're right. Year. I got that wrong. 
I think Verstappen DNF with power unit issues is the understatement of the year. <laughs> <laughs> well, I say I took quarter points, right? Because really his barge board's DNF, right? Everything else finished, but the barge board had a DNF. I don't know how that power unit got through the race, but fair enough. <laughs> I think what I was thinking was there was absolutely no way that that power unit after the incident in Silverstone was going to come back and make it. Like, I, I thought they were going to try it just to try to avoid putting into their third unit already this year. And then it wouldn't hold up and it seemed to be fine. But, you know, Valtteri had other ideas about Max, was what, what he's going to be doing with his day. Okay, so I got to ask, because I don't remember. Did any of you guys remember hearing FIA radio during that race? I don't think I heard it. I don't think so, no. No. I'm taking a full 12 points on that. As you should. <laughs> And I don't know if anybody else watched the um, F1 TV feed, but up until the red flag, we got the pit lane commentary channel instead of Sky's commentary. It was very frustrating. I sent a lovely message to F1 TV saying, I'm paying for this. Why am I listening to this? Why am I listening to people in the studio in London commentate this? Did you get an answer, Phil? No, I did not get an answer, but promptly within about 15 minutes, they did switch over. So you'll take credit for that? Okay. I'm going to take credit for that one. <laughs> That's worth at least five points. And even the worst part is I went back to try to watch the race again because you can't even watch this as race in 30. It's so good. But they haven't corrected the commentary. It's still, or at least when I looked a week ago, it was still like first laps up to the red flag are pit lane channel. I feel like you now need to make a clip that says, Michael, Michael, so Phil has sent you an email. <laughs> <laughs> but just to be clear, I just want to clear something up. Spencer, Verstappen did change into the third engine for the season, for the race. Oh, he did? Oh, okay. I yeah. missed that. For the qualifying. Somewhere, I guess he must have done it for the qualifying before they got into Park Ramay. Okay. All right. I missed that. I thought he was going with that uh, that old Silverstone. I thought so, too. But I remember them saying that they had switched it up. So I just looked it up, and they did. I don't think Nico was that much of a snooze, Gareth. I, I don't know. I mean, it wasn't great, but it wasn't. So his commentary during qualifying, it was just Nico Rosberg never really sounds excited or enthusiastic or real about anything. And I think that's my problem. It's real. He sounds like he's always feigning excitement and trying to be an influencer. Exactly. It's influencer corporate speak. And it didn't do it for me during qualifying. That's for sure. Yeah. I liked his perspective. His perspective was good. His delivery was not. I don't know. Maybe I'm used to the German delivery of things. I it's think I would Thursday prefer... is what you do on Thursday night. I was like... <laughs> there you go. There Thank is. you. There we go. <laughs> if we're not going to have Martin, I would prefer to have Duresta. Yeah. Paul Duresta is a fantastic yeah. commentator. Yeah. It's just fantastic. So. Yeah. I mean, Nico was all right, but it just didn't... It's not exciting to listen to. He's a no. great analyst. I like him when he's interviewing. I like it when they call to him for like, yeah, tell us a little bit more about what just happened. But yes. like, as a color man, it's no. not so much. <laughs> I, I, I like him when he's, you know, stirring shit in uh, in-person interviews post-race. That, yeah. that is fantastic. I'll take that. So let's ask the question. We're at the first break of the season, halfway through the season. Wait a minute. Where are we at now? 11 races, noon, 12 to go. Roughly halfway. 12 asterisks. Yeah, we're, we're in the 12 asterisks, yeah. <laughs> in the middle of the break. So generally, let's kind of do just a quick box on the season itself. How's this going? Gareth, what's the score? I know you keep scoring these things. What are we scoring? I've won everything, of course. <laughs> well, of course. 
Garrett's ahead by 12,000 points, and the rest of us are down by minus 12. Yeah. yeah. But just an overall yeah. sentiment on this season, it's exciting. It's fun. I have enjoyed most moments of it, except for the boring middle bits of certain races. It's been a good season. You always like a season with you know surprise winners, a close championship fight, battles. We've seen some great on-track action. I think it's delivering as a season. It's got everything we wanted. Professor? You know, it's exciting to have somebody other than just Mercedes at the top, which is nice, to have Red Bull and Verstappen fighting for the championship. From that side, it's a fun season. I'm really enjoying it. There's frustrating moments in the season. I think some of the things with the, the sporting regulations and the stewards and everything like that, it's coming to light a bit too much now. But other than that, if you can push past that, we're having some fun races and fun moments. And it's certainly, I mean, it's the pinnacle of racing and it's, it's showing its colors that way too. What about you, Spence? You've come in from DTS. It's your first full-on season. This is number two for me. I was glued to last year as well. But I'll echo what Phil said. Like It's been a great season with some great racing. I'll say if we're looking for a metric, anything that gets Gareth out of bed more than half the time to watch races live must be pretty good. (laughs) That's not incorrect at all. I mean, goodness knows, it's usually before 10 a.m. on a weekend. And what I will kind of tack on before we get Randy's thoughts is we don't get a lot of seasons like this. It's a transition season. We've got this kind of weird because COVID carryover as well as the big regulation change next year. So I think we're just seeing maybe a a kind of season coming together in terms of like the technical aspect and how they're driving the cars and how the cars are functioning that we might not have seen before or since, which is kind of interesting. And I think we're seeing a lot of drivers that are pushing the cars to the limits. They're getting the most out of the vehicles right now, partly because it's, the vehicles are basically the same as they were last year. So there's this familiarity there. But I think that's just the nature of where we are right now. We'll have to, to see where next year goes is going to be interesting because with all the regulation changes, you know, usually one team comes out ahead, unfortunately. Yeah. You know, it's called the senior year of this version of the formula, if you will. That sounds about right. Although it does feel that there's a lot of like, twin specter of this season right you know there was the covid shortened season and then this one that is like this is be the last of this because then next year everything changes and so it's coming with a lot of interest but at the same time i mean i I gotta tell you like the racing is great the on-track product is phenomenal it's just the all the other crap surrounding it feels more polarizing than ever and i mean i get it like i'm all for sport rivalry i'm a sports fan you know the Put somebody in a uniform, make them chase a ball, I'll watch it. But there's a level of polarization that I think I'm, I'm feeling bothered by in general. I'm like, just stop. <laughs> a little bit of drama, fine, right? Netflix needs a narrative. But, you know, it, it seems to have gone a little far in certain things. And, like, I was annoyed with Christian Horner's constant harping. I'm like, say it once, fine, I get it. You got to say it. But then just shut up. <laughs> like, for Pete's sake, you don't need quite that much to get the on-field product in the on-field. Or all the drama you need. Like the thing for me about Formula One is it's always been an understated sport, so to speak, in terms of big personalities, but also just this very stoic European sensibility to some of it. Sometimes. I, I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true. If we look at the history of the sport, and, and we're talking going back to even the 80s, early 80s, late 70s, Bernie Ecclestone. And, There's nothing stoic or polite about Bernie Ecclestone. No, I mean, he pushed the limits. I mean, this is part of the sport, unfortunately, right? I think sometimes people take it too far and and everything like that. But 
it's a part of the gamesmanship. It's a part of how the sport is played. And it's great to say, well, Christian shouldn't have said as much as he said. In reality, if he hadn't said as much as he said, Toto Wolf would have said more. I mean, wow. we've seen that time and time again. Right? And, but how so, many how many Toto put it in an email memes would that have created, which would have been awesome? <laughs> well, we would have had something good to watch, absolutely, and to read. But yeah, it, this is part of the sport. Right? Yeah. And drama's always been there. You know, there's always been a, a level of infighting between teams, whether you go back to the McLaren and the Endstone, Spygate saga, whether we're going back to the whole formation of the Formula One elements. Formula One Constructors Association, yeah. Exactly, right? So let me ask the question that is on so many of our listeners' minds. Fashion highlights for the first 12 races? Talk to Gareth. He knows all about that. <laughs> that lady's <laughs> jeans from Monaco. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Kelly PK. Kelly PK. I've got one. It was the jorts that caused the grid drop penalty by Alonzo in Austria. Like, anytime you see a 40-year-old man in jorts, like, that's... that You're going to take notice of that? Well... That's fair. For me, it was the men's capri and linen jacket thing that I still can't get over. What the hell, man? Like, Where was that? I don't even think I saw that one. That was Monaco. It was men's capris with linen jackets and, and like, you know, yachting sneakers everywhere you looked. It was like, what the hell? It was just something. And then, of course, that livery. My favorite fashion for the year, though, is everybody in orange is supporting both Max Verstappen and Lando Norris. And of course, that golf livery, which I still think they got to bring back uh, at least one more time this year. That was something. Did I tell you or did I send you photos? There's somebody parked in my neighborhood with a Chevrolet Bolt with a golf livery on it. And I was looking at I took a picture, obviously send it to you idiots. And I kind of said, yeah. a golf livery and a Bolt. That's hilarious. And this guy, he's walking <laughs> up the street and he had like a book with like the Porsche, what the 917 in it. It's like, oh, yeah, I did it after the 917. He's like holding up the book. I'm like, in my head, <laughs> you are a Porsche owner and you're a complete prick. I know you've got a 911 somewhere or a Boxster or something. But he was so proud and he was so insistent that no, because I said, oh, the McLaren throwback. He's like, no, 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 the Porsche, the Porsche. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, how many times had it been said to him at that point by other car aficionados? Oh, wow, great. You've done the McLaren. Like, no, 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 no. I did the Porsche. I did the Porsche. It's your... And it was literally like within two or three weeks from Monaco. So it was like, yeah. Yeah. He's going to get that. Awesome. Well, that's box, box, box bingo for another week for our followers. As always, we'll put up a blank bingo card in our Twitter feed so you can play at home. Take a picture and tweet it to us at flippinf one And if it's interesting, well, we might talk about your predictions. And if it's not, we'll just make fun of you. What you doing, Mom? Lewis. So let's move on to what you talking about, Lewis, where we look at the best radio calls between driver and pit wall, some of the broadcasters' best moments, and even some of our own commentary from our during race text chat. And again, I'm getting frustrated now because my favorite thing of the early season was the commentators, the radios, they were going gangbusters. And then all of a sudden, I don't know, it was like they caught on or something like that. And all of a sudden, people are like, oh, no, we can't talk on the radio. People are stealing signs. And all of a sudden, the Houston Astros have a racing team. I'll start with my favorite one, which was on the restart, right? Like, and it's lights out for Lewis Hamilton. <laughs> Nobody yeah. else is there. <laughs> Oddest thing I've ever seen. It was hilarious listening to the call. Like, And so Lewis can drive gangbusters. They're just like, I can't talk about anything else because everybody's just coming out of the pits. There's like, nobody challenging yeah. <laughs> him. And related to that, there was George Russell who said on the uh, lap behind the safety car, 
to the second formation line. He says, at this rate, everyone will box. And he was right. But then he decided to jumpstart everybody. Russell jumping ahead of everybody on the restart through the pit lane because his pit box literally exited into the exit lane, which is fantastic. I, I, I thought it was wonderful, cheeky, and ought to have been rewarded with third place on that lap. He knew he had to give it back. Yeah. I mean, that was it. Of course, that time the Williams ran third. Yeah. <laughs> you had to hear Latifi's radio, though, while George is kind of just creeping up on the outside of him. And he's like, what's George doing? And all of a sudden, Russell just <laughs> pins it and it goes past everybody. <laughs> That's there good. was some great stuff from the commentators that I actually I picked up on. Ted Kravitz, who I think I mentioned, he does the notebook segments on Sky. He does one after qualifying, one after the race. And I think it was after the qualifying. He was reflecting on kind of Red Bull's challenge of Lewis and what Red Bull was saying about Lewis. And he said, not very cool, not a particularly Red Bull thing to do. They're racers, which I thought was really telling about that whole situation. It's like, Red Bull, you're being a bunch of whiny gits. Just just stop. Just stop with like the penalties and the whining and we want our pound of flesh and all that. But I thought yeah. that would sum things up pretty accurately. When did you get on the Mercedes payroll, Gareth? He's trying to get sponsorship, what can we say? I did look at a C300 <laughs> the other day, so yeah, money off. Says the guy <laughs> who just put Michelin's on a Mercedes. <laughs> I couldn't get any Pirelli's. I think all the blowouts have diverted all the rubber supply to the F1 program. I can't, I can't get Pirellis in Vancouver for love nor money. No Pirellis for your AMG. We have to use no. all this rubber for the better AMGs. <laughs> there was another nice little bit that, well, I think David Croft was embraced in Murray Walker. It's the Ferrari-powered Haas against the Mercedes-powered Mercedes, as I think Lewis Hamilton was actually passing Mick Schumacher for position on track. And I think yeah. we have to say credit to Mick Schumacher for his spirited defenses and racing. That was fantastic. Yeah. A couple of laps there. I mean, he really, he had the elbows out and he kept Lewis honest. He kept a lot of people honest. Kept Alonso honest. He kept Verstappen, you know, with a broken car honest. Yeah. It was proper, you know, we saw Mick Schumacher race wheel to wheel with somebody who was Nikita Mazepin and it was really good. And that's exciting yeah. for the future of the sport. I think that was the theme of this race, right? Like you saw Lewis or somebody else coming up and you're like, okay, well, here's the pass. This thing is done. And then like it didn't happen. And you're like, okay, fine, whatever. One shot. It wasn't close enough. Here we go again. And then it'd be like a four or five lap battle. And you're realizing, wait, like we're so used to people not defending against him. Yeah, the whole, well, it's not your race to just let him go. That didn't happen this race because it was your race. Any other thoughts on good radio things that just... I had a couple of good ones. I mean, there was one with Russell midway towards the end. I can't remember exactly where it was, but where he got on the radio and said, look, prioritize Nikki. If you have to compromise my race, we do it. And that, to me, was... I mean, here's a guy that wants points. I mean, he wants to get some points on the table, but he also wants the team to do well. That was a great sign of true teammanship, sort of a true character that that guy is. And I think another example of some great things to come in the future. You know, on the flip side of that, I mean, we had Lewis Hamilton on lap 43 going, are we there already? Which is <laughs> interesting to say, okay, you're keeping yourself busy in the cockpit. You're not watching too many other things going on. That's good to see. But yeah. then he was constantly complaining about Alonso. I mean... You can't, I'm sorry, I'm going to get on this rant, but what, that is, that is totally hypocritical 
to say, you know what, that's my corner, I'm going to go in, I own this corner. And then on the flip side to come out and say, oh, Alonso is just holding me up, you know, he's driving recklessly, he's driving dangerously. No more dangerously than Hamilton did a couple of weeks earlier at Silverstone and drove Max off. You can't have it both ways. Cars don't just get out of your way for you. If you're racing and you want to be ahead of that person who's in front of them, you've got to get ahead of them. They're not going to just give it to you. And that's right. But you just got to beat them on the track. And again, I, I agree with you on this one, right? Like, Lewis, just like shut up and make the pass. Ask for information, get a little telemetry, do what you got to do. But at the same time, like it's the directors, right? Drivers yeah. are going to vent because they got to talk to somebody. You're in the car alone. If you're playing a team sport, right? You're on the field. You're kind of griping each other a little bit about like what's going on and, and nobody hears it, right? Like in F1, because you're by yourself and the radio is recorded and they're, the directors are selective, they're going to tell But that's the, not what he's doing. He's not doing it for that. He's doing it for the opportunities that come with the possible penalties. That's what he's doing it for. He's doing it for the stewards. He's not doing it for himself and he's not doing it for the team or... Did you not just give me a lecture on gamesmanship like two minutes ago? I absolutely can. But you know what? He doesn't play by gamesmanship. That's the whole point. The whole thing is gamesmanship. If you're going to... Anyways, whatever. It is gamesmanship. I agree with Phil. Phil's right. And if this was a soccer game, Lewis would be taking a dive every time he lost a tackle. Yep. That's the style of player that he is. And that's okay. You know, he's won championships. He's a good driver. He's won championships. But... He does tend to complain and he does tend to mislead, for lack of a better term, with his commentary back to the team. My tires are going off and the next lap he does the fastest lap. Wow, uh, and nobody's falling for that. that ruse anymore, right? Like we've seen, it. oh, my tires are dead. Oh, all of a sudden they're doing fastest laps. And I'm like, nobody's falling for that ruse. Like, shut up, Lewis. Somebody's got to tell him that. I, I feel like his team of handlers hasn't. Has not I know he listens to this cast just for me. He's heard it already. He just doesn't believe it. <laughs> so if you're listening, listen to Randy. <laughs> and I mean, again, I'm always willing to say this. I'm a huge Lewis fan. I have been since the start of his career. But at some point, I'm just like, just shut up. Like, you're not making it fun. You're at a point where you're seven championships in. Be a snippy Brit. Like, if you're going to complain, make it funny as hell. And that's kind of where I get bothered, right? You don't need to complain about this stuff anymore. You're not a young pup. You're fighting for a record championship. And make it epic by bringing the Britishness to it, bringing that distinctive flavor, that distinctive style that the British racers bring, right? Like, channel your inner Jackie Stewart. Come on! <laughs> like, it's there. We know you got it. <laughs> and so it's one of those things. One more nice little bit of radio, and this plays into one of Phil's impressions that we'll get to later so kimmy got an unsafe release penalty they let him out of the box and when they let him out of the box he drove right into mazepin into mazepin's race nobody cried about that and they tell kimmy you got 10 seconds i think it was a stop go penalty but kimmy's comment because we keep banging on old man reikonen <laughs> you don't belong here anymore your time is up and kimmy hit the nail on the head he's like so we're fucked again every time we have a chance because i think he'd been yeah. like eight maybe at that time. he was up there again yeah and uh, he, he actually scored a single point in this race you know only due to Vettel's disqualification so that was you know also a little bit telling I think from Kimmy there but what he thinks and what he's feeling yeah. yeah well boys so again some of the best moments of our Sundays in general as we watch this race is the text chat normally I just pick one but I'm gonna let all of you 
kind of pick some of your favorite moments from the text chat that really jumped out at you. My favorite from this week was actually my own. At some point, Phil was griping about something, and I was like, I'm just going to leave this alone. And Gareth was like, come on, man, you're not being fair. And so finally, I piped in. I was like, yeah, you know what? I agree with Gareth. Like, that feels a little bit like old man yells at clouds. (laughs) Hey, you know what? We've got to yell at something, okay? (laughs) Yeah, that was my moment of the week. I still think, you know, the text chat is really fun. And I think there's some great moments. And I think there's just a joy of, like, our own commentary and the goofball stuff that we do on Sunday mornings. I mean, Spence has barely slept an hour and a half after partying the night before and then getting ready to go to golfing. So, I mean... That always itself is something, you know, Phil's got to get ready to go to church and Gareth is just being held in bed by other stuff. So, you know, there's always <laughs> something on the go on Sunday mornings when we're doing this. Well, so. and, and, and let me tell you about this Sunday morning. I was watching the race live for once. and I, He was I, awake, I, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, I know. And I, I will say, if you've got a race with the red flag, it's a great race to sleep in on because you watch the start and then fast forward on the live feed. Didn't have that this time, unfortunately. Like it was so good. Like I, you know, stuff I had to do. You know, need to shower, get on with my day. It's like, okay, like the Alonzo Hamilton battle was going on. I have to put this laptop on a stool in the door of the bathroom and shower with the shower curtain open, so I can shower and watch this race at the same time. Carry on with my day. Also available, not at at Flippin F one, is Garrus webcam where you can enjoy shower pics. It's on OnlyFans. (laughs) a month all yours (laughs) one of my favorite moments in the text chat was kind of at the end of the race when uh we were we were wrapping up and talking about how the standings had changed and the podium ceremony started getting underway and gareth came back with a, a blast saying trophy from grandma's collector plate collection that was it was Pretty spot on. Actually. Oh, that was wild. Yeah, <laughs> that was awesome. Hungary, there's a history of ceramics in Budapest and Hungary, and they do these beautiful ceramics with you know, country scenes and stuff on them. But yeah, straight out of grandma's china cabinet. They are known for it. It is a very special tradition. That's why what they What the hell is supposed to give them? Like a tea set? You know, spices? <laughs> Some hot paprika. That would be good. Oh, wow. No, that's cool. Phil, what about you? I'm afraid my old age has kicked in, and I can't remember any good things from the text chat back then. And I've gone back through and I'm going... I was too busy complaining! (laughs) I was too busy yelling at the clouds. Yeah, nothing popped to my mind, unfortunately. Sorry, gentlemen. There's the bit where uh, Andrew quite rightly pointed out that Crofty doesn't understand the DEFCON conditions. (laughs) Yeah, you got to start with I laughed at that one. Yeah, that, that was a good one. I enjoyed that. What are you guys kind of looking forward to just in our interactions in the second half of the season? Things that you think that we're going to do or that we're going to take out? I mean, some of these Grand Prix might actually be at reasonable times if America and Mexico happen in Brazil. I'm looking forward to Spence complaining about the Asian races where now he doesn't have to get up early. He has to go to bed later than he wants to get up because he's got to go golfing the next morning. Well, these are Saturday night races for me, right? When they're in Asia. So that's okay. Like, I'm really looking forward to that because I'll just <laughs> roll out of dinner and roll right into an F1 race. I'm in the bath watching the race. It's a Spencer Saturday night. <laughs> I'm having a night to myself. Spencer, I will pick up the mantle of complaining about the horrible times because on the East Coast, they are just awful in the Asian time zones. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I experienced a little bit of that, Spence. Like, I was up normally as I would be, but I was in Saskatoon during Hungary. And, like, 
I just had the timing all wrong. I went to get my coffee. I came back and it was like, oh shit, we're like literally like moments before it lights out. Randy, are you with a straight face complaining to me about central time? Yes. <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> God dang Eurocentric race circuit. He's trying to relate. <laughs> He's trying to relate to us. Well, this is me trying to complain to you and commiserate about Eurocentrism. Oh, yeah. Isn't it working? No? All right. <laughs> no, no, no. We're not buying it. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah, no, I'm just excited for that. You know, it, it's fun. I, I look forward to more Spence, you know, like, what is Andrew going to come up with this week? <laughs> like, you know, easily, easily just watching him cram like a high school senior for these podcasts has hey, kind of been the highlight of my season. You guys have had so many years of this on me that I'm trying to keep up, but it's actually been really good because I'm pretty sure at this point I've watched every video on the F1 YouTube feed, and I have actually learned a ton about the history of the sport. A lot of stuff I really wish I had been there to watch live, you know, particularly like the early Lewis years, right, when Alonzo was at McLaren. There's some pretty interesting stuff there. I, some years I missed. I've enjoyed going back and kind of learning about all that. Yeah, and there's so much more to it. I'm actually reading this book that my mother got me many Christmases ago. It's called Formula One Fanatic by a guy named Conan Verger. He's a Dutch writer. I think he wrote this about a decade ago, but it traces his interactions with the history of the sport. Now, got plans to send this around to you guys, but he goes through all these battles, like the Prost and Senna battle, and even stuff before that from his perspective as a fan. So there's so much great history and racing at every stage of the sport that is pretty fantastic to both either experience as we do right now or go back and read about or experience you know years ago i don't think i've ever told you guys like my parents used to have to bribe me to go to church on sunday mornings when i was like 10 11 years old this is like you know 92 93 94 it was on tsn i i didn't want to go there and like carry the cross up and down the holy trinity anglican church i wanted oh. to watch like senna and hill and michael schumacher I find that hard to believe because like when we lived together in undergrad, you used to go to church every Sunday morning. Uh, yeah, that's exactly where I was every Sunday morning. Yep, yep. <laughs> well, we couldn't afford cable. We couldn't afford cable, so I couldn't watch Formula One. That was basically it. Church was free. We had to spend all of our money cleaning up the messes that our guests would leave on our floor after a random Saturday night. Hey, whatever. I found myself at Maxwell's Plum the next morning anyway, so shut up about it. Like, I know where church was. And I mentioned no names. I mentioned no names, and I totally don't have those pictures anymore. All right. That's what you talk about, Lewis, for another season. We'll do more of this all the way through the next part of the season. Hopefully the calls will be better. But let's get into the silly season. What's going on with where racers are going to land next week? I've seen a big post-it here. Gareth said that second RBR seat. Talk to me, man. This was me cruising around. There's so many great YouTube Formula One channels, you know, five, 10 minute snippets. And there was yeah. really interesting, I forget which channel it was, about what's going to happen with that second Red Bull seat, maybe not even next year, but the following year as things are getting set up before maybe 2023, 2022. Like, Paris is only there on a one year contract. Are they going to keep him? His performance has been up and down this year. They have a Pierre Gasly. What do they do with a Pierre Gasly? What's Pierre Gasly's long game? Does he I stay in the know, program? Does he, you know, bounce after another year or so to somebody else? Are they going to keep Perez? Who knows? 
Well, I mean, I think Gasly's actually committed to Alpha Tauri until the end of 23, if I remember correctly, or at least until the beginning of 23, the conversations he's had with Helmut Marco. So I think there's a valid question is, is Gasly doing enough to be able to step into the Red Bull seat? But I think they have to keep him there around as a secondary backup because they don't have anybody. If Max decides to jump ship, which he could very well do at the end of 2022, you know, who are they going to put in that seat to replace him? Well, guys, you, you heard it here first, okay? It's going to be Perez for one more year. Uh, Gasly stays at Alpha Tower next year. And then after that, Pierre is going to take the second Red Bull seat. And I think that's going to be all that we've seen of Sergio Perez for a little while. I think that they're going to try to keep Gasly around. I think they're impressed with what he's done. Like, I think we all are. And I don't think they're expecting that if they put him back in that second seat, it would be kind of the same thing that happened at the beginning of his last tenure there. Like, I think they're expecting him to perform a whole lot better. Well, yeah. I mean, I think Gasly has matured a whole lot since he was in that Red Bull seat. He knows how to drive a car. I still don't know that he'll be able to get the most out of that car. And I still think you get Gasly and Verstappen on a team, and now you've got a whole new clash of egos that's going to be a lot of fun. But I think they also drive their cars differently. If you look at them, they have a setup of the cars are different. How they build the team around themselves is different. I don't know if Gasly and Verstappen actually work as a combination. I'll be honest with you. I don't think so either. Although I love your idea that like Verstappen goes looking for another team, you know, approaches Mercedes. Mercedes does a Google search and just blinks at them for the next 30 seconds. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I, I think there's a lot of things there. I mean, you never know. Let, Randy, here's the thing. We didn't know after that Vettel was going to Ferrari. Like, that came out of the blue when that when that happened, right? Well, that's true. I remember that via shock, actually. Right. I thought, what? Like, so, you know, yeah. stranger things have happened, right? I mean, let's get into it. I know, Phil, that this is the team you want to talk about. What's going to happen at Williams? Let me look at a crystal ball here, because I don't know. <laughs> You know, I I love Williams. I love the team, but I have no idea what they're going to do. I think there's a good chance. I still feel that Russell's leaving. I still feel that he's going to Mercedes. I think that's the smart move to make if I was Toto Wolf. But I don't think Hamilton's going to like that. Valtteri Bottas has secured his one-year contract extension. Yeah, only by costing all the other teams millions of dollars by writing them all off in the first corner of Hungary. No, no, he got a contract from Toto and a gift basket from Esteban. (laughs) (laughs) Very fair, very fair. But I think either way, I think the, the other question is what is happening with Latifi? He is a paid driver for all intents and purposes. And although he has done well, he hasn't really. And I think if, you know, Dalton Capital is, is really looking to make Williams a successful team, they've got to have top-notch drivers. So they're going to have to go after some top-notch talent. I would love to see Hulkenberg back. I think if they can secure him, that would be the, the highlight of that. <laughs> Williamsburg? Yeah. That would be wicked. Yeah. Yeah. Hulkenberg, <laughs> did he start with Williams? He did. I don't see Latifi going yet, only because there's money there. And if you haven't noticed, he did outscore his teammate this year. We're not done yet. The year is not over yet, Gareth. (laughs) Phil, are you calling another Williams point finish this year? I think Russell's going to have a legitimate point finish somewhere in the year. I do. I think there's another one still in there. There's a couple of good races where the Williams car will shine. so. So if your kind of thesis of the case is, and I agree with you, the deal with Russell to go to Mercedes is done. I feel like that's been done for weeks, if not months. Then is Bottas going back to Williams? 
I think Williams would should. I mean, Williams would be foolish not to go after him. But at the same time, I don't know if he really will. All right, Spence, give me the Netflix Drive to Survive story. What's really going to happen so that all of a sudden the series has the right amount of drama so they don't have to cancel in the middle of the way through? I don't know. I feel like the way that Netflix is going to cut this together is they're going to pretend like the the Russell bought us decision, which is, let's be honest, that's the cork in the ball, right? We need that decision to be made so that all the other seats can be filled. They're going to portray this as happening kind of somewhere around Abu Dhabi, probably. But it, it's kind of tough to say what's going to happen until that initial decision is made, right? So I think, as just been discussed, I think we all agree Russell is going to Mercedes next year. Probably the case. If he does, what happens to Valtteri? Does he go to Alfa Romeo, the other place where he's been kind of rumored to be talking? Or is he going to Williams? Who knows? The, I mean, the smarter move is Williams. It's, a, I think, a more ascendant team. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. If, if I was him, I would be leaning towards Williams too. But to kind of create that you know, competitive tension in the negotiations, I would absolutely be talking to, uh, to Sauber. Sauber. Oh, sorry. Sauber <laughs> Romeo Racing. Sorry. It's Sauber, but yeah. This is your first season, Spence, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> hey. My point being, like, that has to happen. And once that happens, I think we'll see a lot of other things kind of fall into place and relatively quickly, right? Like, who takes that second Alfa Romeo seat? Is Mick Schumacher going to stay at Haas for another year? I don't know. Maybe he gets the call up to Alfa Romeo. Maybe Matteo puts him there. Who knows? A whole lot of the shoes that have to drop before we get to a finalized grid for next year. And it's all going to happen, I think, in the next couple of weeks. Things going to happen before Spa, you think? I think we're going to get that first announcement before Spa. I think we're going to find out what George Russell's doing before Spa. I don't know, man. You heard it here first, actually. Here's what's going to happen in 2033 is Denny Rick to Williams in his like, <laughs> fourth team in six years where he's oh, got to learn the car yet again being that driver. I don't think that's going to happen, but it's kind of fun to think about anyways. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, but bringing up, brings up a good point. Danny Rick's got to come to grips with the, the McLaren. He's got a multi-year deal at McLaren, which means yeah. he's got time to come to grips with that. But, I mean, this is exactly what happened to him at Renault, though, right? Like, he kind of underperformed, muddled his way through his first year. And then finally, partway through the second year, he really started to perform. He did. I looked at that earlier. That's part of my Mazaspin for the week. Well, there we go. And that's the perfect segment. It is time for Mazaspin. Turn there. Oh, and another spin. Uh, but it's Nikita Mazapin. All right. It's Mazaspin, where we take a negative theme from this part of the season or this part of the race, and we spin it positive. There's only two rules. Spin something positive and also say something nice about Nikita Mazapin. So let's start with you, Phil, because I know you got all kinds of positive things to say about Nikita, none of which can be said in polite company. I think it was a true shame that he was taken out of the race by a legend. <laughs> All right. Now that you've said that, you've got to tell our listening audience more. What happened? I mean, to be in the pit lane for Raikkonen to be released when he was and for him to take out the front end of Nikita, that, that was a shame. I have to say, you know, honestly, when you think about Nikita Mazepin and what he's been doing, I think he's getting better. I think he's improving. And I think, you know, he's no longer quite as spin-happy as he had been before. But that's enough about him. My true sort of ranks to riches story, I think for me, is the Alpine story. The Alonso-Alpine relationship. And really, you know, 
the fight that Alonso did and the drive that he did during that race, second to none. And that helped to sort of get Ocon on top, keep him there and then prevent Hamilton from catching up and fighting for the win. And so, so that's your story is, is Allo goes from like championship winner to the consummate teammate. That's the spin. The spin is you take, yeah, the spin. No, it's not quite that. You gotta, you gotta listen to the subtlety there. The spin really is you've got a world champion that always very much like world champions do think about themselves. That's Alonso. And he's now playing the team game. And that is the spin. He's doing what is needed to do to keep the team in top form. And he's mentoring Khan to success. I mean, you can see that in their relationship. So that's, so we say, growing up and making the most of it. Well, and I like that, right? I mean, it, it was a true mentoring moment where Aloe was just like, yeah, here's how you throw an elbow on national TV, right? Yeah. It was pretty wicked. Just like, I kind of hoping that like Akon goes back and watches the tape to see <laughs> what will be expected of him so he can repay the favor, right? Well, and I think everybody should be watching that to say, okay, how do you get your elbows out and prevent cars from passing you without really causing carnage. Uh, and that was masterful. It was masterful. But flipping back to what you said yeah. about kind of ultimate teammate, my thought on that is maybe he's matured, maybe he's grown up, maybe it's the Jorts, but it's also, <laughs> it's he's going to buy a Corvette. We know that, white new balances. Yeah. He is yeah. being a magnanimous team player because it furthers Alonzo's legend. It furthers Alonzo's career. Mm -hmm. And they are not fighting for a championship right now. If they were fighting each other for a championship, would he have done that? No, of course not. Arrow wants another one. You know he does, but... No, but would anybody have done that if they were fighting for a championship? I don't think so, but it's one of these, oh, Alonzo, he's turned over a new leaf, all this, all this kind of crap. It's like, no, I mean, he's doing this for great reasons, but the reasons are that they're not fighting each other for a championship, so he can do this. Yeah, well, that's fair. Spence, again, in your epic, epic, Epic allocation of words. You just put three letters. V-E-T. Tell us more. Give us a spin. My man, Seb Vettel. I think if you had looked at kind of the constructors and the drivers championship at the end of last year, and you'd seen where Racing Point was, and you said, look, in the midpoint of 2021, Seb is going to be 12th in the driver standings. I think we would all, without a doubt, have said that is a negative. But I'm looking at that, and I'm looking at how he's performing, how his performances are getting better, DQ notwithstanding in this last race. I really think that he is now on top of it. He doesn't have the excuse anymore that he's learning the car. The car is not great compared to where it was last year, but it still seems drivable. I think that, you know, he is well positioned to get Aston Martin up into fifth of the constructors in the second half, provided that our boy Lance kind of comes to play because he's been just absolutely MIA in the first half. We really need a better performance from him in the second half if Aston Martin is going to beat uh, AlphaTauri and the guys at Alpine for fifth. You know, that is not where I thought you were going to go with that, right? To me, it was all like, when he's fighting for championships, Vett was the whole selfish type, and all of a sudden, he's like, you know, Vett's actually really a nice guy, and he's uh, environmentally conscious, and he's a guy that picks up garbage and rides his bike out when everybody else is taking their 
AMGs that don't have Michelin's on them and yeah. shit like that. Well, like, it's, uh... it, it's, the, it's the perspective of the newer fan, right? Like, I'm aware of him being an absolute prick. I hated Sebastian Vettel for the Red Bull years. He was such a snotty little prick, and now he's, like you just said, this lovable kind of guy who cares about the environment he's and the likable. Yeah. And he's fighting from yeah. the back, yeah. and he's, I'm going to say, he scored two podiums this year. And as you said, Lance has done, you know, pretty much duck all. Nothing. Nothing. So. <laughs> duck all. Thank you, autocorrect. <laughs> this is what Vettel was hired by Aston Martin to do. This is why Lawrence Stroll brought him in. Paris had stayed. Paris have done better. I think he would have done about the same. Yeah. All right. With what the car is and, and, and where the team is at. Right. You know, I've always been a big Vettel fan, but, you know. His Ferrari years, he his head wasn't in the game. Spence, say something nice about Mazepin. So I will say something nice about Mazepin was that I did not hear that he was about to be canceled on social media this weekend. So I mean that's good, right? I mean compared to eight months ago, that's very good. That's progress. Good job. Yeah, I guess no news is no news is some kind of spin, Gareth. You said something about Ricardo. What was your big spin for this week? This is the negative theme for the first part of the season. We already touched on it. Danny Rick has had not a great start to the season. He's, I don't have the numbers, a ways off from Lando. He's popped up a couple times in the races. We know that it took him a bit to get up to speed when he was at Renault that first year. He's got a multi-year deal with McLaren. I, and this will come back to bite me in the butt someday. But I, I kind of trust McLaren's management to not be jerks, quite frankly. Having watched some of the behind-the-scenes type stuff, the DTS stuff, like they're hard, but they're no Frank Williams, Bernie Eccleston type folk. I'm thinking, Ricardo, he's kind of coming up. He's getting his stuff together. He's understanding the car, hopefully. He's got this multi-year deal, and he can make good on it and do well with McLaren because, you know, in the back of your head, you watch some drivers, you like them, you love their racing, you cheer for them, but you're like... You might have kind of missed out on a seat that's going to make you world champion due to circumstance. And maybe he's got the multi-year deal. We'll see how next year shakes out. Maybe there's a hope for Danny. And you're positive about Mazepin? His team principal didn't give him a joke gift talking about how shitty he was this week. Yeah, nice. That's always fun. Good stuff. All right, my spin. You know, I'm going to say it because I got to spin it this way. You know what? If Lewis didn't whine, then a lot of radio producers would be out of a job. So and Phil would have 12% fewer rants. <laughs> exactly. There you go, Phil. That was a gift for you at the first break. Thank you, Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> Thank me. What the hell are you thanking Lewis for? But uh, yeah, and my positive about, about Mazepin is, you know, he still happens to be an F1 driver. So, you know, that's all good, I think, for now. But whatever. It fills a seat. So there we go. That's the end of Mazaspin. Let's get into our favorite segment. And I don't know if it's our audience's favorite segment, but I sure love it. Let's get into Penalty Props and Steward Sewer. And, of course, we're going to start with our technical expert, Gareth, to walk us through what's in the Penalty Props and... Who lands in the steward sewer this uh, week, Eric? I think we, we've got two big, let's call them heads of damages this week. First one being the, let's call them post-race technical shenanigans. Seb Vettel, disqualified, <laughs> could not draw a liter of fuel from the car. That is a technical infringement, and it's very much 
what we would call, Andrew Spencer and I, of course, a strict liability offense, being the great litigators we are, which is the thing has happened, you're guilty. I was actually going to call it horseshit. Yeah, horseshit. I'm glad the lawyers agree. Yeah. You know, the car was disqualified. He had the second place taken away from him. You're required to give a liter of fuel. You know, appeals happened and they found new evidence. The steward said, well, there is new evidence, but it doesn't change the fact he didn't have a liter of fuel in the car because it leaked out. So bye-bye. Uh, they have not decided to take it up with the International Court for Arbitration Sport or whatever it's called because they're like, yeah, there's no yep. there there. Yes. But yeah. I think Andrew highlighted, you know, five-place grid drop for bot-ass is meaningless and there's really no proportion in these penalties. One's a technical infringement. One is a driving standards problem. But Valtteri Bottas ruined the races of, let's call it, at least three other people. Lando Norris, both of the Red Bulls, probably somebody else. And he gets a five-place. No, that was Lance Stroll's fault. There was a Ferrari in that too. Uh, I mean, it all, it all was causing that first corner where Bottas drove in there. So these guys, okay, yeah, you're out of the race. Whoops. And you get a five-place grid drop at Spa. And you said it, it's kind of meaningless when you ruin that many people's races versus, hey, you tried real hard. You like dragged this car up well beyond its means. And for technical reasons, sorry, it doesn't count by. I mean, I know it's the nature of the sport and I understand the technical elements of the rules and everything. But we should be asking the drivers to race and compete and be competitive. And that means putting the cars to the maximum and pushing the cars to the edge. Is running into the back of somebody because you fucked up braking on a wet track, uh, pushing the car to the edge? No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about Vettel okay. not having enough gas. You know, not talking about the first one yeah. incident. Wow. Did but, you just call it gas? It's petrol. Yes, I did. Oh! Ow! What? Queens, I've lived on this continent long <laughs> enough, gentlemen. Just because you're in the doesn't mean you have to speak like us. No, I, I remember being corrected in my early years of Formula One, being told it's not gas, it's fuel. Now that we've hopped on me about that, but yeah, Vettel not having enough fuel, I, you know, <laughs> I forgot where I was going. This is the second time that, and even backing up, Aston Martin asked the stewards to review this new evidence. They went through this last year's racing point with the whole listed parts, brake ducts thing. And we know, and embrace your uh, Martin Brundle, points make prizes. They lost, I think, 30 points last year. I think 15 a car for that whole brake duct thing. And they've lost, I want to say, 18 this time because of Seb, his disqualification. He must feel like Linus, the uh, Peanuts character, the football keeps getting moved because every time they get a chance to jump up that constructor's ranking, it's ripped out from under them and they're losing, you know, millions, of, if not tens of millions of dollars in the last two years due to technical infringements that are just like, well, this is wrong. Sorry. Bye. Yoink. Yeah, no, that's fair. I, I feel like poor Otmar, you know, feels like Linus looks a little bit like Eeyore. So who ends up in the sewer? Bodass has got to end up in the sewer. Well, he's not a steward. Yeah, but he can go in the sewer. Like He needs more than a five-place grid drop, quite frankly. Yeah, I think that's true, too. That feels right to me. I'll throw the stewards in there as well. We're kind of handing out, like, dopey grid place penalties to him and Lance for really messing up other people's races. But I'll yep. give them props. Like, they've enforced the technical regulations, and they've done what they're required to do because they don't write the law. They enforce it, and they don't really have discretion in this. So they followed it. They haven't bent 
to the will of the people or anybody else on that. But we'll throw the FIA in there because maybe they need to look at some of the technical rigs. I think they need to look at the technical regs, but I think the bigger question here isn't just the, the fewers and the penalties I got. It's what it's going to do for racing. If we are losing millions of dollars on cars every couple of races, teams cannot afford that rate of loss, especially the no. smaller teams. And even the bigger teams, when you hear Kristen Horner or Toto Wolf. Well, they're running so close to the line in terms of the budget cap. Yeah, you, you've got to either pay them extra or give them extra space on the cap. And the smaller teams, you just have to pay them extra. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, there needs to be something done that allows the teams some latitude in that area. Because this is, you know, what, the third race this season where we've seen massive damage? Yeah. You know, it's, there's costs for this. And it's going to impact racing later on when teams literally get to tell their drivers, don't push the limits because we don't have spare parts. It's like Jensen Button yeah. racing for Braun for the the first six races in 2009, I guess it was. And literally, you know, it's like, don't damage the wing. We can't replace it. We have one. We have one, and that's it, you know? Or the whole kind of Nikita Mazepin, my car is 50 kilos heavier because we had to bondo on extra carbon fiber to make this chassis work. Yeah. yeah. All right, well, that's it. That's another Seward Stewart and penalty props for another week. So let's push on. It's time for... F, do, re, mi. F. Is do, re, mi. All of our panelists have been asked to identify a song that sums up the race weekend and explain why. And so let's start with you, Spence. All right, so the song I have is The Weight by The Band. And I hope everyone knows that song. It's fantastic. We're not IndyCar. They race at Nazareth. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Gareth knows. <laughs> so the chorus to that song is take a load off Fanny, take a load for free, take a load off Fanny, and put the load right on me. And when I think of what Alonzo did for our man Esteban Ocon. In oh, race, nice. He I like absolutely it. did that. Like he put Esteban on his shoulders, right? And he held Lewis at bay for, I don't know how many laps it was, but it was the most fantastic thing, I think, that came out of that race. Like, he just absolutely defended the world champion that he is for, how many laps was it? About 10 at least. Like, it was a master class that I have rewatched, yeah. and that's, yeah, it was fantastic. A absolutely. And, like, the directors couldn't get away from it. And I have to think that if he doesn't do that, or he's not in between Lewis and, and Esteban, like, there's absolutely no way that Esteban is able to do that for 10 laps. Like, I don't believe it. Even on a, a track that's as notoriously hard to pass on as that one is. He just took it on himself, and he, he got his teammate to win. I think you nailed that one, Spence. The weight by the band. I like it. That's a solid theme for this race. Gareth, tell us. I went with the Pinball Wizard by The Who. And this is uh, in reference to Valtteri Bottas's first quarter antics. <laughs> it, you know. The deaf, dumb, and blind bodash who played a mean <laughs> pinball there took everybody out. <laughs> From Soho down to Brighton, he must have played them all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I'm just going to say that Andrew Spencer and I, as the youngest people here, have both uh, name-checked songs from the 1960s this week. So take that with our Gen X slash millennial-ness. I'm going to take 14 points just for not making a joke about you, quote-unquote, got a supple wrist. So I'm just saying. 
All the better for slapping you with, my boy. <laughs> How does he do it? I don't know. What makes him so good? <laughs> All right. Phil, have you got a song? I mean, I know you stopped listening to music back in 1871. Yeah, it was around there. It was around there. Yeah, do they have anything classical that would justify for this? No, I'd actually chosen, because this is really not my forte, as I keep telling you guys, but I chose Thunder by Imagine Dragons, and that's basically just the unexpected victory. Another top 40 song. I know. I'm more hip than you guys. Do your hips still work? Oh. So far, Gareth. So far. Are you thinking about up- upgrading from like the Jetta to an Atlas just to get in and out easier? I don't have a Jetta. You can regrade from the Pirelli hip to the Michelin hip. It won't blow out on you as much. It works everywhere except for Indianapolis. As long as they don't go around on corners, we're okay. <laughs> Which Jetta do you have, Phil? I don't have a Jetta. He doesn't have a Jetta. I know, do. We've been talking about your Jetta for weeks now. Which. I know, I know. The Gareth is uh, stuck in time. I used to have a Jetta. Oh, okay. I drove it up the back of a pickup truck many, many years ago. I thought it lived on a pickup truck. I don't know why. And then he had a golf that he put into the ninth hole and it was done. No, 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 no. I had one accident. One accident, gentlemen, in my old time. I know. But that thing lived on the gravel, so I just like to joke about it. So. Oh, yes, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, anyway, Phil, so you picked a top 40 song by a uh, bro rock band. Tell us more. I've forgotten what I was going to tell you about it, guys. Um, unexpected victories. Khan knew that he could do it, but you know what? It came out of the blue, and it was good to take advantage of it. So there you go. All right. I went with New Order's Ceremony because, you know, I'm stuck in the 80s. But it actually it was all about that first line. This is how events unnerve me. And I think those involved in the crash or those that could not take advantage of the crash are looking at this thing going, like, what the fuck? Like, all of that stuff happened. And, you know, I still got unnerved by it. And it's also my tribute to Seb, right? Like, I did all this stuff, says Seb. And... Like, still, the stewards come with this ridiculous penalty. Like, this is how events unnerve me. But I tell myself a different story. So that's kind of my story for Efto Remy this week. Let's end it off with our favorite segment, Winner Winch. Three takeaways from this race, one driver observation, one overall racer venue impression, and one future of the season thought, because we got a whole lot of season to go. So forget the sport, just let's talk about the season. So uh, Gareth, why don't you go first? Okay. Mm. My, I guess, observation about the overall race or venue. Everybody loves a wet race and a first-time winner. It was wonderful i think we were all cheering for esteban this is just like gasly winning last year like everybody loves a first-time winner everybody kind of loves the chaos and the mix-up of a wet race brilliant wow loved it observation this is for aston red bull racing it's freaking easy to get hosed but that's f1 you guys got hosed this week you know red bull got taken out aston got the penalty for the technical infringements yeah that's part of F1. The ups are big and so are the downs. Yeah. <laughs> and they can really, and that can be the difference in your championship or your season. Future of the season at Spa, 
for the rest of the season. Max comes out swinging. This is my prediction. He's fed up. He's pissed off. He's had time to kind of cool down, focus. He's going to come out swinging, and he's going to rock this. And I'm putting on my tinfoil hat about Lewis and his quote-unquote undiagnosed long COVID symptoms. I was watching that podium. He looked punch drunk, quite frankly. I'm like, are you okay, man? I, I don't know, man. I think if you sweat out eight pounds on a track that hot, and those guys were losing pounds of sweat, like, and there was no way they were getting enough electrolytes. I just think that's what it was. It was dehydration, not COVID. But maybe I'm not a till fall hot guy. So I mean, Lewis said he thought it was undiagnosed long COVID. He looked out of it. And Lewis does. It, Lewis is not somebody who's ever looked out of it before. Uh, that's fair. Professor Winterwell? Uh, from a, a driver and team observation, I mean, this was all Alpine Alonso success, really. I mean, it was an amazing race to watch from that perspective. You know, really, we've touched on it. What does Raikkonen have to do to get a break to be successful at this at the end of the day? Retire. Yeah, well. Have that all get disqualified. I think I was saying that all through the last podcast, so <laughs> I'm not going to repeat myself again. But, you know, I think from when we look for the season, I would agree with Gareth. Max is going to come out swinging. My one thing is, can Max focus enough energy and the aggravation that he has to succeed? You know, he has tendencies to be a little hot-tempered, and I think that tends to boil over sometimes. If he can control the anger that he has right now, man, we're going to have one amazing second half of the season with some amazing race and amazing tight races. If he can, if he falters, which I think there's always a possibility he could, although I, I doubt it. I think he's older. He's more mature now. But if we think about the Max from a couple of years ago. He's not years Max ago. from a couple of years ago. I think he can. I think he's learned. And maybe his hot-headed father has helped him calm down and taught him a few things. I hope so. I, I really do. You know, I think there's an amazing season ahead of us still of 11 or 12 races, whatever the asterisk number is. And I think we're going to have some absolutely fantastic fantastic moments. That's my hope and my prediction. As for, for Lewis, I hope that that was just, as you were saying, Randy, just an electrolyte imbalance and everything like that. I, I do. I do. As much as I'm not a Lewis fan, I don't want to say that on anybody. But at the same time, if he keeps going like that, I think there's a bigger question to ask. And that's, does he stay in the sport? And if it is long COVID, it's no joke. I have friends yeah. who have it. Yeah. And it can like a staff be like, nope, I can't breathe today. I can't yeah. function today. And I've got friends who yeah. you know, they're working up to doing like, I'm doing one hour and 15 minutes of work in the morning, one hour and 15 in the afternoon. I mm. hope to add another five minutes next week. So if it is long COVID, like that can be a horrible thing. Yeah. You hope it isn't. You hope it isn't for anybody. You really don't. You really don't. Yeah. Spence, take us through. When'd you win, man? All right. So my team observation, starting with, a big shout out to Williams. Love to see it. I suspect everyone here and a lot of fans out there also feel the same way. It was fantastic to see them back in the points and a double points finish. I certainly didn't have that on my bingo card as a thing to happen anytime this year. Race or venue impression, taking it back to the Hungaro ring here. Again, for a track that was not supposed to provide us with a lot of great racing, we came into it assuming that it was going to be kind of processional. I mean, it was great. Like, there was some of the best wheel-to-wheel -wheel racing that we've seen all year at that track this weekend. So that was a great surprise. My future of the, of the season thought, you know, I was initially going to harp on in the Max Lewis thing, but I, I think we've, we've covered that enough. I think 
Another thing to look for, and again, you heard it here first. We're breaking lots of news here today. I think Carlos Sainz is going to beat Charles Leclerc this year at Ferrari. And he's oh. the next step into like that upper echelon of drivers in the sport. I think a lot of people think he's a really good driver, and he certainly is. But I think he's about to take the next step into the elite, into the possible world championship contender if he's got the car. I would agree with you on that. And there was something he said a couple times. They played some of the Ferrari radio where he was asking the team, where is Lewis? What is Lewis doing? And he actually told the team, he's done this before. He's going to swap tires. And then he's going to come charging through. You know, we don't always think of Formula One drivers as, let's call them brainiacs or strategists, masters of strategy perchance. But I feel like Carlos Sainz, it just shows you like he's watching the tape. No other way to say it. He's watching the tape and he's making the notes and he's planning and plotting. And I was really impressed by that. I will say that like Carlos is easily one of the hardest workers on that grid. Like he and is, he's got his dad teaching him and his dad is yeah. a formidable racer. Right? Like, I think there's a whole lot there. I'm with you, man. That, that's good. You know, for me, my winter win this week, so let's talk driver observation. You know, I got to talk about my McLarens. And, you know, everybody's talking about George and George to Mercedes and yada, yada, yada. I really do think that in the second half of the season, you're actually going to see an angrier, more focused Lando, who's like, you know what? I am the freaking future of British racing. But yeah, George might go to Mercedes and George is going to do all right, but I'm the future of British racing, so pay attention. And I think that's what we're about to see. And we're going to see this kind of almost intra-British rival of those guys kind of trying to take that mantle from Lewis of the British racing lands with me. And that's coming. And I, I do think Carlos is coming up. You know, I've been a fan of Leclerc since he started. Like the first time I saw him race, I was like, wow, this guy's impressive. Like he's great. And I think... Charles, with a couple of solid races, you know, no retirements, he's going to be good. It's going to be fun. It's going to be sweet. But I'll say it like I say it in the chat, right? Lando! <laughs> That's really what I'm looking for, you know? Overall, I think I love that we continue to go back to Hungary. I love that they continue to make small improvements to the track, right? A little tarmac here, a little bit of asphalt there. And the thing just becomes more drivable and allows for more close racing especially right after the rain. And I'm really interested to see what Hungary does with the new regulations and, and how that changes the car and bigger, fatter wheels, but smaller bodies. And, and how does that change what happens on that track? And, and you know, so there's a lot to be happening there at Hungary. And, you know, I, I kind of do want to see them hand out a, a trophy that looks like a babushka doll because that would just be fun wicked. But, you know, we'll see what happens. As for, like, future of the season, you know, the best part of this season has actually been the three of you. And, you know, Aww. I'm super excited for some of the stuff that I see coming up, right? Like, there's lots of great moments in the way that this all plays out for us. And there's the F1 support races and us talking about W Series. It's us getting into F2 and bringing that into this cast. It's us looking beyond the drama and delving more into the stuff that our audience loves, right? Fashion and travel and all that other stuff. I mean, it's a technical sport and there's a whole lot there. 
And I think Netflix is going to tell people that story. But people come to us for a whole lot more going on just than what you see on the track. And it's more than cars going around in circles. And, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, you've actually stuck with us through the first, what, six, seven we recorded before we drop this thing live. And so we appreciate you for all that you do and all that you've done. And hopefully it's more than just our moms and, you know, a couple other people plus Martha. Thank you. And we apologize. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and I think that's the future of the sport is it's not just that polished thing that F1 wanted to put out. It's guys like us kind of bringing it back to the moments of... Hey, look, if you're going to go to a race, if you're going to experience a race, experience a race. And know that it's more than just a sport. It is a culture. It is science. It is travel. It is all of these things that make the world awesome. So I'm hoping we just keep doing more of that. And so that's my future of the season is we're going to keep doing this right through the end of the damn thing. And then we'll see what happens after that. So with that... Our outro is going to be this. Everybody say something nice about Eric, our long-suffering editor. And fans, let me tell you, he suffers because of the four of us, not because of you. So everybody say something nice to Eric. Thank you so much, Eric. Sorry to put you through this mess half the time. (laughs) Indeed. Thank you so much. And thank you for that cold open that basically made Andrew Spencer sit up in bed and crap his pants. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Eric, I'm feeling we don't pay you enough after listening to what we just went through tonight. Thank you. <laughs> I'm just saying, Eric, I mean, you've gotten to a point where Martha's like, oh, wow, I got a new ringtone. I want to freak out Andrew. So, so. <laughs> Andrew, Andrew, Andrew. And there we are. That's the checkered flag on another night of Flippin' F1. We're always super glad to join us. Please, please, please check us out on Twitter at, at Flippin' F1. Eventually, we'll have Instagram and Facebook and other things once we can, you know, sucker some intern to join us. But otherwise, please come on out. Listen to us again on your favorite, favorite podcast series, Flippin' F1. 